everybody, it's me, Emmy. I'm just your average coffee-loving girl trying to navigate life and what it means to follow Jesus. You see, I started this podcast as a way to keep me accountable in my personal Bible reading goals. And also, I wanted to create a safe space to share how I'm applying God's word to my everyday situations. Honestly, I just have a lot of questions and I figured, well, you probably do too. So why not just come along for the ride as I read through my devos and try to figure out life and Jesus. So grab your Bibles, grab your coffee. Let's dive in. Hey, y'all. So the title of today's episode is called Israel's Restoration. Now we're looking at chapters 20 to 23. So I wanted to start off talking about like, when I was in high school, I really wanted to be admired. I wanted everybody to be proud of me. I literally exhausted myself, determined to be the best. And like, I was even trying to be real strategic in my efforts to let everybody that I let everybody know that I was the best. The best at what? I don't know. I still don't know. But your girl was trying. But you see, the problem was I was never impressive enough. And even when I felt like I might have been, there was never enough people watching. And then even if there might have been enough people watching, they weren't watching well enough. And if they happened to be watching well enough, well, they weren't responding loudly enough for the way that I wanted them to. I just never felt like I was enough ever. And you see, today's reading from chapters 20 to 23 of Ezekiel are such a beautiful chunk of scripture about our one and only true God, our actually and legitimately worthy of praise God. Our creator is the only being who genuinely has the right to demonstrate his goodness and perfection in the sight of all. And we tend to strive to secure a worthiness that always feels false. Or maybe that's just me. But it's good to know that he is worthy. You see, I've loved reading what God says to the house of Judah in chapter 20 today, verse 39, it says, go and serve your idols, but afterward, you will surely listen to me. And then he tells the people, I will demonstrate my holiness through you in the sight of the nations. That's verse 41. You see, I might have not known it back then in high school when I was trying to do my best God impression. You know, your girl was trying to be that good, huh? But the Holy Spirit was patiently, patiently and compassionately pursuing me. Just the way that he had done it for the people of Judah thousands of years before I was even a thought. You see, he was loving me in my exhaustion toward the realization that I would come to figure out later on in life that God alone would satisfy me. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 42, God says, When I lead you into the land of Israel, the land I swore to give your ancestors, you will know. I am the Lord. You see, even though he was speaking to the exiled people, we see his character here. We see how he deals with us and our own idolatry. We often spend time chasing down our own desires and we end up empty. But God keeps his promises despite my wanderings, despite my failures. He keeps his promises. He leads us to the promised land because he is a promise keeper. And for those of us, who have accepted the finished work of his son, that promised land can be found anywhere on the map of this obviously so very broken world. You see, years after the prophet Ezekiel had had come and gone, Jesus left heaven and came to this world. 
First Peter chapter three tells us he was suffering for the sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Like, I don't know about you, but I have definitely failed at being holy. And I feel like sometimes I'm just like them, turning away from worshiping God to worshiping other things, ridiculousness, right? Like chasing after a career or the compliments of others. But God in his infinite mercy has made a way for me and you to be restored. You see, during this season, I'm reminded that he makes spiritually dead people abundantly alive through the extravagant and sacrificial love of his one and only son, the only one who is truly worthy of praise. Let me tell you something. I love happy stories. Your girl is drawn to comedy over drama. I delight my one of my favorite things to do in the afternoon if I come home from work early is get all wrapped up in a blanket on the couch and your girl is watching a rom-com. I tend to avoid movies, shows, books, anything that has any type of like suspense, tragedy, gore of any kind, car wrecks, deadly diseases, dying, unhappy endings, you name it. It's not for me. Blame my anxiety. Maybe some unresolved childhood trauma might be floating around. I don't know. I just, I really like to have happy endings, hard, sad stories. They're not really for me. And so naturally, your girl is not drawn to books like Ezekiel. At least certainly not for the first few dozen chapters. I mean, we're all the way into chapter 20-somethings now, right? So it's really hard to sit here and to read about all the ways that Judah has failed. And then to see those failures reflected back in my own heart, like, this was not a fun time for me. Your girl was feeling attacked. And so chapters 22 and 23 cut right to the chase. And as I'm reading them, I'm like flinching and squirming. I am unsettled by this harsh but true language. Because I'm reading not just about the long time ago Israelites like way back when. I'm reading about the depth of sin that's possible in me. But to grasp even that implication of the true ugliness of the sin that's in my own heart, it's really helpful to understand how and why Ezekiel structures these chapters the way he does. Like, I don't think he's setting out to personally attack me, even though I'm pretty sure that's how he wrote them, right? Like, let's be real. That's how I'm feeling right now. So chapter 22 gives us three oracles about their destructive behavior a cue for seeing when each starts in the is the phrase the word of the lord came to me and they begin at verses 1 17 and 23 of chapter 22 all right so in the first oracle ezekiel gives the people a list and it's not just a list of things they've done wrong he uses language and references from back in the book of exodus leviticus and deuteronomy to specifically to show specifically the laws of god that they have broken like Our friend Ezekiel broke it down. And this isn't like a wild deviation from the cultural norms. Rather, these are the things that God told them not to do. Like, you know, like if you break a rule and you didn't know about it, like, then that's one thing. But, you know, if you know what you're supposed to do and like if you know you're not supposed to do something and then you go to do it, then... That's a whole different story. You see, these people weren't stumbling onto a new way of sinfulness. They were explicitly breaking God's laws. We see echoes of the Ten Commandments in Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel references specific Levitical laws throughout this oracle, as well as like he was pulling them specifically from Leviticus chapters 18, 19, and 20. 
So then in the second oracle, Ezekiel tells them that there is no good left. The city will be burned, but nothing will be refined. No silver purified from the dross. This is a stark and shockingly sad image. Like he starts with, this is what you've done. And the second one is, now this is what's going to happen. Doomity, doomity, gloom. And then the third oracle brings us to the start of verse 22, reminds the people of Judah that none of them, not one is righteous because none have obeyed the laws, which, you know, jump all the way forward to Romans chapter three, verse 23, literally reiterates this truth for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Ezekiel's words are type stinging all the way through. And each of the three oracles wielding a particularly person like a particularly specific perspective. But they lead me to this. Not one of us can follow the law. And so God must do what he has spoken. He must act. The Lord's wrath was not poured out on us, but on his own son, Jesus, who on the cross bore the crushing weight of all sin and who made a way for us to be clean and righteous. You see, instead of us bearing the weight of that sin, we've been given a gift. And I can't help but praise God and be grateful, especially this week of all weeks and Holy Week, as we're gearing up to celebrate Easter on Sunday and Good Friday on Friday. And remember this great sacrifice, like I can't help but connect the dots and praise God for loving us enough to send Jesus to take our place and to give us that gift. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening and being a part of this journey with me. If you liked what you've been hearing, then share it with a friend or drop some ratings and reviews. I'd love to hear from you guys and what you're thinking, how you're feeling, and if this is something that you've been enjoying as much as I've been enjoying going through it with you. Um, So thank you so much. I love you all, and I'll see you real soon. Bye.